and welcome to another episode of PR360, and I'm your host, Brett Deister, and with me is Anne Milo Shanahan, and she works for Global Results Communication, which is a great partner for this podcast as well, but she's had a great many experience through PR. She's done with several different sectors in the consumer, healthcare, and tech sector. She's also been a part of several LA-based marketing and PR agencies. She's worked for the Los Angeles Times, Wall Street Journal, Vogue, NPR, NBC's Today Show, Bloomberg, and more. So it's a great guest to have. So welcome to the show, Anne. Hi, pleased to meet you, Brett. (laughs) No problem. Happy to be here. And my first question I always ask is, are you a coffee or tea drinker? I am definitely a coffee drinker. Right now, I really miss traveling. And one of the things I miss doing is trying coffee from other countries. So right now, I really have been enjoying coffee from Costa Rica and Hawaii. Love it. That's what I do when I go traveling. I go find the small coffee shops and try to experience their coffee or what they actually make. Yeah, I kind of lean towards the sweeter side. So I've lately, I've been on a hazelnut kick. So I've been really enjoying hazelnut coffee, iced and hot. Mm-hmm. Mm. All right. Well... I like both, but I still uh-huh. lean heavily towards coffee, but I also drink it like straight black. Ah, gotcha. So you like it both. I think what's as important as the coffee for me lately is the mug, right? So I've been using this Yeti mug for the last couple of months and it's made such a huge difference. <laughs> oh no, I'm like really particular about like the brands mm-hmm. I get. I mean, I'll still go to Starbucks and everything, but like I will go and find like the smaller coffee roasters. Yeah. Because they usually produce the best beans. Yeah, definitely. I can drink coffee all day long, so it's nice to have like a Yeti or something like that to to keep it in, but yes, the beans are very important too. Yes. Anyways, moving on to PR and journalism and the industry and What does the industry look like in 2020 and how has this affected the PR industry? Yeah, well, the journalism industry in 2020 is facing a number of challenges. As you know, we're dealing with decreased staffing and resources, mounting workloads, and even attacks on the press. And it's affected the PR industry because right now we're seeing more readers and and viewers consuming news and there are fewer journalists to produce them. And we're also seeing hundreds of journalists being laid off right when the public needs them the most. And the U.S. Census data recently showed that there are nearly six pros, PR pros. So there are six PR pros for every one journalist. And I think 2020 is going to change that. But that's just a really startling statistic to see that for every one of me or for every six PR pros, there's only one journalism contact. So we're also dealing with that plus a faster news cycle an unprecedented amount of news media outlets. So PR pros need to get savvier and more strategic about how we're telling our stories. And do you think because the shrinking newsroom or not as many journalism to PR pros is mostly or could be a little bit related to the public distrust for journalists? I think that's a really good question. I think people are really overwhelmed by the amount of news sources out there right now. And I put news sources in quotes because You've just got a ton of outlets out there from online print and, you know, you've got the the digital natives as well. So I think people are finding it harder to differentiate what constitutes a credible news outlet with budget for fact checkers versus 
a viral social media post with unreliable sources. I think really that's what's added to the mistrust. However, I think the shrinking newsroom has been a trend for a while. In 2008, you know, we were in the middle of the recession and the total number of newsrooms nationwide was over about 100,000. And in 2019, there were only about 87,000. And I got this data from Michael Smart, who's a trusted figure in the industry. And he just recently shared these numbers in a recent webinar. He's, he's incredible. He, he does a ton of research in the space. And I think the 2008 recession accelerated the decline of newspapers. And we're continuing to see that 2020. Over the last decade, we've seen consolidation among the news media companies. And I think that's caused a huge shift in the number of journalists out there. And now in 2020, being faced with a global pandemic, it's really sad to see that some of my really good friends who are journalists gotten furloughed or laid off. They're navigating what they're going to do next. And if we want to go back to your question about public distrust, we're seeing skepticism running deeper than just what we're seeing with the media. The Associated Press and the NORC Center for Public Affairs Research and USA Facts did a poll and found that the public is also questioning information from the government, scientists, academics, and politicians. So it's not just the media that they're not trusting. They're seeing a distrust among some of those areas as well, right? And some of those individuals as well. So I think the question should also be, what can we do, right? So how can we gain back this trust? PR professionals are in a very crucial role to team up with journalists to ensure that all of the information that we're providing to the public right now is accurate and we're working together to fact check and vet the information that we're, we're sharing. And, you know, my hope is that clients and organizations are clear and transparent about their values and their mission. I know you've had a couple of guests talk about the importance of that. And then another thing we can do together is, you know, provide claims that are data driven. Are we putting forth trusted subject matter experts, these reliable people? that have talked about a particular subject and have quantitative data or do they have really strong anecdotes anecdotes to, to support their claims. So I think at the end of the day, accuracy needs to be more important than revenue, exclusivity, or being the first person to publish. Mm-hmm. And has the rise of, I guess, independent journalism kind of catapulted more of the shrinking newsrooms with one-man teams with their phones just going into like cities or big news stories and basically doing their own is that shifted the landscape of journalism as well and for the PR industry finding those independent journalists yeah I mean I think the real trend that we're seeing there is there are a ton of freelance journalists right and there's a lot of outlets out there that are employing those folks there are a lot of outlets that are outsourcing their writing. But I think PR people and the general public need to do their part in terms of vetting and doing a little bit of research on who's writing their story. So the Washington Post actually has a really good article about that. And again, for us to do our part, there are things that we can do to vet our sources. There's a website called NewsGuard that actually offers a web browser, kind of a plug-in that rates more than 4,000 news websites based on the records of publishing accurate information. Even though there's an onslaught of freelance journalists and citizen journalists and people writing their opinion blogs and things like that, there are still things we can do to make sure that 
the information that we're getting is accurate and reliable. Gotcha. And more speaking about PR and just writing in general and outreach for media, what is some of the best practices for media outreach? Yeah, media outreach is such an important part of the PR industry. Some of the back practices for media outreach are pretty simple. You want to define your audiences based on the outlets you target. Everyone says research is key, but here are a couple of ways I think we can strengthen our approach. So you want to make sure when you are looking at a target or an outlet, you want to make sure that the journalist that you're targeting has written or posted recently. If you know that a writer takes a little bit longer to write a story, you want to make sure that you're communicating that with your subject matter experts so that you're setting expectations up front. And then you also want to see if the outlet or the journalist that you're targeting has covered your competitors. That way you can highlight your differentiators during your interview. Another thing that you can do is to have your numbers ready. You want to make sure you know what the reach is. You want to make sure you know what the demographic is so you can tweak your messaging and make sure that you're reaching the audience that you're aiming to educate. And then another thing you want to ask up front, because this is really important for a lot of our, a lot of companies right now, especially with measurement being so important, does the outlet include company links within the article? Sometimes uh, a client or an organization will say, hey, they don't do a backlink. We don't really want to spend our time on that. So we've started to see kind of that conversation happen. So making sure you do your research up front is super important. And another best practice is that I think people really underestimate good grammar and proper email etiquette. I think there's a way to be conversational and professional. I think a lot of kids fresh out of college or new to the game, they tend to lead with uh, really formal emails. And sometimes they're five, six paragraphs long. And I think being in the industry for over a decade, I think some of the most responses I've gotten are from pitches that were only two to three paragraphs. So I think that's super important to be concise. And again, there's always space to be conversational and professional in your emails. And another thing that has been crucial in getting a response from media is having assets ready. I like to develop press kits that are kind of like a one-stop shop for journalists. So that includes bios, background information, digital assets like high-res photos, headshots, and videos if it's applicable. And sometimes I'll just host it on a Google Drive to make it super easy for a journalist to get everything they need so that they don't have to follow up a bunch of times. So at the end of the day, we have to prove our value to these journalists. And I always ask myself, is what I'm pitching interesting? Do I have data points? Do I have a strong subject matter expert? And do I have visual components that can make this story stronger? Mm -hmm. And you talked about emailing journalists, and I've had a little bit of experience working with gaming companies, gaming peripheral companies specifically. What I found was that using more of a, like a press release style email where you just put all the information in the beginning part was usually the best. Is that still pretty true? Do you use it that way? Or what's the best way of actually emailing to get the best out of the media? Sure. I think it should be a hybrid approach, right? So you want to make sure you've got your press release information in there, but I think nothing beats personalization up front. You want to make sure you did your homework and you want to make sure that when you're responding or when you're reaching out, even if it's a cold email, you want to make sure that you're leading with a good first impression. You want to make sure that 
the person that you're emailing knows that you did your homework. So you want to include elements of the information that you want to provide, whether it's a press release or media advisory, but you think a little bit of personalization up front to show that this particular content is a fit goes a long way. Mm -hmm. And so, for example, like I would actually read the journalist stories or a few of them at least so I get understanding, would that be helpful as well as at least reading some of their previous stories so you understand how they write or at least can oh, yeah. say that you wrote a good piece on this one. Hopefully you're being truthful for the most part about that. Is that like a good way of doing it as well? Yeah, the, the key there is to be authentic. If you read an article, like sometimes what I like to do is maybe you're pulling the part that is most relevant to your organization or client and seeing how that's going to be a fit for like a different direction of this topic, right? So you don't want to just say, great story, you really kind of want to make sure that it's relevant to your ask. So putting those things together, again, personalization and research is so key for making sure that you get the response that you want. Mm -hmm. And is it good to use email templates for this and just personalize it with a little bit of different personalization for each reporter? Or should you just personalize the whole email for each reporter? Well, I mean, it kind of depends, right? I think there are certain tools available to send batches of emails. And I think that should be limited to like press releases, media alerts, and like these huge announcements. But I don't think templates are as effective as personalization, obviously. I think before you even send a reporter any kind of announcement, so let's say you have an announcement or a press release that you want to have out there, you want to maybe find 10 to 25 people that you think will be a perfect fit for this versus looking at the 200 people that cover this topic. So let's say you have 10 to 15 personalized emails, and then you have maybe a really clean email template for a trade publication or maybe a niche newsletter or a podcaster. So I don't think templates are bad. I just think they should be used in a limited fashion. Gotcha. And from your experience pitching to the journalists, what are some tips that you found that actually were successful for you? Yeah, storytelling is so crucial to what we do. And I think making authenticity is a priority when pitching and creating a story for the media. You want to make sure your subject matter expert is prepared. I create background materials to ensure subject matter experts are not only well-versed on their topic, but the journalists they're speaking with, just as much as we do research as PR professionals, you want to make sure that your subject matter expert is also familiar with their writing, their, the things that they're interested in. And I think a formula for a good story or pitch is you want to make sure you have that credible resource, a newsworthy angle, a relevance factor. Ask yourself, will it entertain, will it educate, or inspire readers afterwards? So just kind of thinking about that before you even craft a pitch or an email, I think is really important. Yeah. And you talked about just finding the journalist and looking at what they're doing. Do you have some tools on actually monitoring that or even finding the niche journalism? Do you have any tools that you actually use to get all that information? Oh, absolutely. I actually like using Muckrack and Press Rush. Those are great tools for researching who you're going to target. Google Alerts, I'm sorry, Google News is really helpful because it sorts the news coverage, or you can look at a topic 
by date, but Muckrack and Press Rush is really nice because they've got bios for these reporters. They have their recent articles on there. So if a reporter writes for multiple outlets, you'll likely see their other stories on tools like Muckrack and Press Rush. Mm-hmm. And you've done all this. So how do you actually make the earn media content actually count after you actually get the media to actually write about whatever you're writing about? How do you make that count? Sure. To make your earned media count, we have to think beyond the headline. A lot of clients always think and organizations are asking PR departments, how can I get the most bang for my buck with this story? Before you even come up with a campaign, I think it's important to ask yourself, how am I going to repurpose this content? And then when the story drops, who can I put it in front of? Can I put the story in front of investors, colleagues, board members? Do we have a newsroom? Do we have an internal newsletter that we can share this news with? Is the organization's leadership sharing this editorial piece to give it more visibility? You know, you've had previous podcast guests stress the importance of employees as brand ambassadors. I think employees are such an important audience. So to make earned media count, you want to use your network to amplify that story. Mm-hmm. And after the story's already hit, what are some extra, I guess, steps or extra things you can do to make it really count? Like, should you use more social media posts? Should you use a blog? What are some of the best ways of utilizing the media hits? Yeah, I think those are two great ways to amplify that a media clip or a media hit, especially if it's visual or if it's a podcast that always does really well on social media platforms. And I don't think it's just enough to post it on your own internal company page. I think engage with the journalists and the influencers that you think would be interested in that particular piece. I think, you know, we talked about posting that clip to a newsroom on the website and you want to work with a client or organization to make sure that they're disseminating that information across all of their platforms. So I work with a team that customizes our posts for each platform for maximum impact. Twitter is going to be different from LinkedIn. It's going to be different from Facebook. It's going to be different from Instagram. We've used some really cool tools like Canva to make sure there's like a nice visual component to a link. So there's a lot of different ways to amplify that media hit. And then another thing too that people forget to do is the follow-up, right? I think it's so important to thank the journalists. And then if it's appropriate and you have that relationship with them, you can ask them, hey, is this something you'd like to post to your personal page? A lot of the times journalists don't have access to the media outlet social media. That's a whole nother team dealing with that. But I don't think it hurts to have a journalist post an article that they wrote on their personal page and share it with their network. It's kind of like, hey, look at this cool company. This is what I talked to them about. Mm. So manners do matter this time. When they actually write it, you say thank you. Exactly. Yes. It's super key. And it's a little thing that you can do that goes such a long way. And speaking of that, let's say that your media contact is new or even an influencer mm-hmm. specifically, because I say PR people are probably the best for influencer relations. How do you further cultivate that relationship? Sure. There are a few ways to have good relationships with the media. I think Some people have found it harder in the digital age. In 2020, there's less events, there's less networking opportunities. But I think at the end of the day, we all just want to be respectful. As a PR person, the best thing we can do is to be mindful of their time, to do our research and just do 
do a lot of that stuff up front and make sure we're offering them credible subject matter experts. If you know that, let's say, a subject matter expert tends to flake and this is a really big deal, you just kind of want to be mindful of that stuff, especially now, and be really transparent with the, the folks that you're working with. It's like, hey, we've got a really great journalist that we're working with. Can we make sure that you carved out that time for them so that there's no interruptions and we can make sure that we have enough time to speak with this reporter? Another thing we can do is point them to data. I mean, it doesn't have to be our company's data. It doesn't have to be a client's data. If you have resources that are going to be helpful for them for their story, if we're directing them to that, it just makes that relationship that much more valuable. And then again, going back to my press kit, I think offering visual assets just really strengthens that relationship. So it's not necessarily about being super friendly. I think a lot of it is being super professional and prepared. And a lot of the times when you over-deliver, reporters come back to you. That's kind of one of the things I look forward to is after a great interview, they go back to me and say, hey, that was such a good interview. Do you have any resources or do you have any subject matter experts on something else I'm working on? And I think just being prepared, being respectful and offering more than just a subject matter expert really helps cultivate that relationship. Mm -hmm. And for the media outreach, has it expanded to bloggers, YouTubers and podcasters as podcasting is becoming a pretty big business? Oh, absolutely. I think expanding your outreach to non-traditional media is where this industry is going. I think PR plans and strategies need to have traditional media targets on their list that I think bloggers, YouTubers, and podcasters are just as important. So yes, outreach to bloggers and podcasters is important to any strategy. And I say be open because some of these opportunities with influencers are often pay to play and they can be beneficial. The ROI can be tremendous because Sometimes when there's a cost, that also means there's more control over the end result. So there's a lot more collaboration. They give you, let's maybe sometimes you'll see edits before a post will go out. Or they'll want to work with you more about the end result versus when you're working with an editorial piece or when you're working with a journalist, they kind of already have what they want in mind. Mm -hmm. And how has this more smaller or more media opportunities affected the PR industry because now you still have to go find these podcasters because I'm mm -hmm. pretty sure they're it's not as easy as it was just with traditional media. So how has mm -hmm. that affected the PR industry with finding the more smaller guys, I guess is the best way of saying it. Sure. With so many channels out there, especially with YouTube, Instagram bios, oftentimes you'll see an email in the about page or an Instagram bio or a Twitter bio. So for some influencers, they have their direct contact info on their profile. Even if it's not them necessarily responding, it might be a personal assistant or it might be an agency. You can oftentimes find their direct contacts on profiles. However, there are also agencies that deal solely with influencers. For example, there's Viral Nation. Obviously, those are two that I know that work with influencer marketing. And then once you've gotten past that, you have your targets, you have the folks that you want to work with, you have to be prepared with ideas. Don't expect these influencers to come up with the strategy. Come prepared with a couple of solutions. Like we've worked with companies before, we've worked with influencers before, with gifting, guest posts, 
sponsored content. Now we've done giveaways, we've done social media takeovers, or even just brand ambassador programs. So those are just a couple of things that PR professionals can do kind of outside the traditional PR plan. Mm-hmm. And when we're talking about like the shrinking of the newsroom, should the PR pros actually take charge in this and just just do their own content, do live streaming or podcasting, get their message across? If the press isn't willing to do it, should you just take it and become the gatekeepers themselves or should you kind of mix it up a little bit and do both? I think it's a combo of both, right? I think PR pros should explore all channels to get their message across. We're seeing a lot more owned content out in the world right now. You see a lot of brand journalism, which is really effective. You're, let's say, launching a product or if you are working with a consumer account or if you have a a really niche story to tell, I think brand journalism is really important. But if your client has a good story, you can always adapt and get creative with your content, right? Especially if you have a video or like a visual audio storytelling component live streaming and podcasting is great. One of the things that was really successful in a recent campaign, we have a client called Numa. They're an AI-enabled virtual assistant. And one of the things that was really effective was using customer success stories as part of the storytelling. So what was really cool about that was you can have reporters really responsive to this because we were able to tell our story with real-life testimonials. But let's say you're doing that on your own, right? You can build up case studies. If you were to do your own live streaming or podcast, you could use your customers, your members, real-life testimonials to add a little bit of depth to the conversation. So you don't have that hard sell. You're hearing a third party talk about the benefits or use cases or some of the highlights from whatever campaign your client is part of. Do you think the PR industry is going to become a little bit more like journalism and then journalism needs to be better PR people in general themselves look like, hey, we're still trusted type of a thing. Do you think that's going to happen where or is it still going to be just PR going to still pitch stories to media? Do you think it's going to be flipping a little bit in the coming years? I think it'll be a little bit of both, though, because I think media relations is just a part of what we do for PR. Right. So. I think journalism will always be important. And I think the PR function will always be important. I think those two things are are separate. And you'll start to see both areas evolve. And with PR, I feel like you're seeing a lot more trends become accelerated. Right now, during the pandemic, you're seeing crisis comms be crucial. You're seeing a lot of those types of things, speech writing, and some of these areas that really don't involve direct contact with the journalist, but more towards the public. We're really shifting a lot of our skill set and our energies to complement those things as well. So I think journalism is super important to give us information, facts, and news. And I think PR professionals have a crucial role in working with organizations, companies, and brands to make sure that the content and the messages and their brand personas are being communicated to those different audiences in a very informative, educational way. All right. And fun question for you. What would be your dream client? 
Ooh, that's a good question. I'm really enjoying working with tech clients these days, especially the ones that are resources for those navigating the current pandemic. Worked a lot with the restaurant industry and and they're struggling right now. And I've, I've really enjoyed helping them through and telling their story during these times. But a dream client for me would be someone that's having fun, but also promoting social justice causes like Ben and Jerry's. They're having a good time with it. It's light, but some of their packaging, their branding, their marketing lines up with what's happening today. I also really enjoy working with universities. I was a professional advisor of the first place team for the National Bateman Competition, which is a PR competition. And the campaign was actually around diversity and PR. So that was really exciting. I really liked working with the university. I liked working with academia. So I don't think I'd really have a dream client. I think I just really enjoy working with companies and organizations that are really making an impact on the things that are affecting us today. All right. Any final thoughts for our listeners? Yes, actually, I think to close this podcast, I think one of the things that we need to remember is we're not only in a global pandemic, we're in an infodemic. And what that means is that I think we need to encourage others to stop the spread of misinformation. PR practitioners have such an important role in this space. Earlier, we talked about distrust in the media and the PR industry. And I think we can all work together to build that trust back up again. It's just so important. We're hearing a lot of noise on social media platforms. So if a story seems too good to be true, I say take a moment, stop and tell your friends and family to check their sources. Earlier, I mentioned that Washington Post had a great guide on stopping misinformation. And it actually outlines some of the steps that we can do to vet our sources, like NewsGuard. That web browser is super cool because If you take a look at it, they're looking at news outlets based on how accurate their information is. So there are things we can do to make sure that we're part of the solution to gain that trust back with the media and the general public. All right. You heard that. Try out NewsGuard if you really want to help with figuring out if this is the right or correct information. Also do your own research, but it helps. Yeah, there are resources out there that can help you kind of navigate that. I know it can get pretty sticky and opinions are really strong. And sometimes that can sound like actually a factual thing. But I've worked with so many amazing journalists who are working tirelessly to make sure that they're doing their research and they're relying on their fact checkers. And it's also the public's job to make sure that they're sharing the right information from credible sources. All right. Thank you, Anne, for joining PR360. No, thank you so much. This was a fun conversation. And thank you for listening to PR360. As always, please subscribe to PR360 on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and more. And join us next week as I talk to another great thought leader in the PR industry. All right, guys, stay safe, get out, have fun, and see you next week. Later.